Across Tamworth and the northwest slopes and plains, you're waking up to 2TM Breakfast with Peter Huxley. And it's time for Tones and I. G'day, Tony. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm thanks. sure no one has that. No, no one's using that name. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, middle of the working week. First one back for me. That's the fifth day of me being back, but it's the first full week this week. Hump so day. How you it, going? it is a bit. Hum- oh, I'm I'm really struggling to get used to. I've, if you're going to ha- be off for a month, I've worked out do it in a nicer time of year. Cause it's really hard to get just get used to getting up really early again when it's when really it's cold. deepest darkest winter. Yeah, yeah, but other, you just got to go. Right, I've even got a little message of encouragement on my phone. You know, you set your alarm on the phone and it's the, and you can put a message on it. Yeah, yeah. get up, idiot. Oh, I thought I was going to say you can do it. Yeah, well, it's probably <laughs> less encouragement and more abuse. Actually, my one, but you know, that's the only only thing I understand is abuse. I mean, looking out the window behind you right now. My body clock is telling me it could potentially be 9 p.m. It's really <laughs> dark, isn't it? So dark. Yeah. So the over-the-shoulder index doesn't come in till the 7.30 news because you actually can't see yeah. out there until, what is it? It's 6.20 at the moment. Now, there was a council meeting last night. There was. Was yeah. it fiery? It was quite fiery, I think. Um, water is a big issue, especially yes. for this region. Um, if you have a look at the maps where... Pretty much the entire region is still drought affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a new report that came in and there's some issues going on with the pipeline from Chaffee Dan into town. There was um, a water deficit for some wells in Kalala. Yep. Um, so, yeah, basically we can't take some of the water without, um, you know, repaying that deficit. So there is potential that we're going to have to buy water privately, depending on That's what happens good. with the dam. Yeah. So some of the councillors were really fired up, especially they were not happy with the state government's mm-hmm. approach to water management. Melinda Pavey. Yeah. So Councillor Webb was calling it a shambles and a disgrace. Yeah. Um, he thinks the bureaucratic system down in Sydney is an absolute disgrace. Mm-hmm. Councillor Wilson was questioning some of the strategies that the government has. Um, And she actually said, and this is what alarmed me a little bit, was that, you know, what are their objectives for efficiently delivering water to a city that is on the brink of a natural disaster? So I think... Mm, As um, in running out of water? Yeah, well, drought affected and... Not not running out of water yet. Mm. We're we're just over 15%. We've actually gone up in the last six, eight months. Yeah, so... It was 14, sort of, six months ago. Yeah, Mm. so they're saying, like, it's crazy that we're celebrating 15% because maybe a year ago we would have been, like, that was horrendous. But I guess it's all relative, right? So going up is good, even if Mm. it's 1%. I think so too, yes. And on a positive potential future note, last week I did speak to a climatologist from the Bureau of Meteorology, and there's... Pretty high predictions for a La Nina coming La in. La Nina. Now, tell us the difference between a La Nina and an El Nino. So, the La Nina, um, he explained to me, is a lot of like fancy stuff that's happening out in the water, the ocean, yeah. with like winds and currents and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But basically, a La Nina will mean more than average rainfall mm-hmm. and for an extended period of time. Mm. So and we're mo- on the brink of one of those. Yeah, at the moment, it's like 50% chance. He said it's a little too early to tell for sure. Yeah. But... I mean, they seemed pretty 
like Confident. pretty certain that they yep. needed to keep monitoring it because it could happen. And okay, that could be great, great because yeah. there was also a report yesterday um, from the Bushfire Research Group who warned of another tough season ahead. Yes, well, you, you know, you can, you never, uh, you can't go wrong predicting a tough bushfire season. I think they predict a tough bushfire season every single year, and last year they got it right. So you're not going to say, I mean, what, where, at what point are they going to say, oh, we're expecting a pretty good year this year, there's not going to be too many dramas, everything's going to be sweet. Nobody ever kept their job by saying that because you never, you, they're so unpredictable. True, but if we get this La Nina, that could be a big help. It could be a big help here this year, but then it'll make everything grow. And <laughs> It's cyclical. There's not much you can do about bushfires. Yeah. It'll make everything grow and put a lot of fuel on the ground and all this sort of thing. Well, and, that's just why we need to And then the following listen. couple of years might be, you know, might be difficult ones, but this is what happens. This is this. We've got to listen to our experts. Correct, um, correct. What I think they're experts for a reason. Mm-hmm, yeah, and yeah. They, you know, are the ones that are focusing on that specific area, whatever it may be, and mm-hmm. they they know the, the latest. Latina. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Now, anything else happening in the news this morning? Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you heard, but there was five journalists actually that were arrested in and questioned by police in Malaysia. I did hear and that. One of them is actually from Armadale. So, oh no, yeah, she's the executive producer of One Hundred One East. Um, for Al Jazeera, a yep, yep. Um, media network out Jazeera. of the yep. Middle East. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they've been questioned about a documentary that aired on the 3rd of July that kind of called into question the Malaysian government's um, behaviour and reaction towards undocumented migrants during the coronavirus pandemic. The documentary mm. basically shows a whole bunch of people being rounded up and locked up and held, like, basically in prison purely because they are, you know, undocumented migrants as opposed to citizens. So the journalists are being held <coughs> as well as the these undocumented migrants? Well, the journalists, since they aired this documentary, have been questioned by police mm-hmm. um, and they've been doxxed. So doxxed is a thing where online people go and use the collective power of the amount of people online, find out people's personal information and post it online. So they're kind of being harassed and um, questioned for crimes of sedition. So that's Mm. a really serious crime Mm. that has been, you know, criticised by human rights groups for years and they were going to abolish it a few years ago and then they didn't. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it does come with some pretty heavy penalties. Does does that that concern you as a journalist? It absolutely does. I Mm. think that the role of a journalist is to report on what is happening and especially to report on what is happening to people that don't have power and people that don't have a voice. So undocumented migrants are, you know, that exact group of people. They are that demographic, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. so if if you're getting in trouble for criticising a government... I mean, Malaysia says they're a democracy. Mm, mm, yeah, but they were actually, and this, this, uh, what, what do they have? A president or a prime minister or what do they? I think That's they have a prime minister in Malaysia. Actually, yeah. where was Mohammed Mahathir from? <laughs> Bangkok? No, I don't know. Oh, uh, look, we're going a little bit ABC. <laughs> <laughs> But that's interesting. That's very interesting. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And um, we'll talk to you shortly.
Thank you. Did you see that thing about the old Governor-General, Sir John Kerr? Remember when he was pissed at the Melbourne Cup, falling over? That was Bob Hawke. <laughs> it's the same thing with ScoMo at the footy having a beer. If that was Bob Hawke, would anyone have cared? Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing everyone had to get up on their high horse and, oh, ScoMo at the footy. Oh, first Hawaii. Hawaii was six months ago. And I still say at that time, the bushfires weren't out of hand at that point. There was bushfires. We get bushfires every summer. But they weren't out. They didn't actually get out of hand till he was over there. And then he sort of said, well, geez, I better go home. But uh, to give the bloke a couple of hours off to watch the footy and, you know, and have a beer, you know, good on him. Because let me tell you, him and Gladys Berejiklian and the bloke from Victoria, they have been absolute Trojans in this. They're working 15, 20-hour days, I reckon, and seven days a week. And give the bloke a break. He is a family man as well. Nobody ever laid on their deathbed and said, gee, I wish I'd have spent more time at work, did they? Even if you are the Prime Minister. Uh, I reckon he's doing his best, and uh, I think that about everybody who's involved in this deck, except for Dr. Kerry Chant. I reckon she's unreal. <laughs> she's not just doing her best. Uh, they have discovered that the... The, as we suspected all along, the outbreak in the Crossroads Hotel come from Victoria. Apparently, there's a guy that the guy that started it in the Crossroads Hotel is a fellow from the Blue Mountains, and he is a contact, or he was in contact with someone from that grubby Victoria. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about coronavirus; it's not that funny a subject, but. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's come up from Victoria with that gentleman or one of his friends has come up and visited him or something, and then he's visited it on the rest of us. So there you go. That's how that started and all that sort of stuff. But that's actually not what I started talking about, was it? The whole John Kerr thing was, <clears throat> it's a little bit lame, I reckon, because it was 1975 was the dismissal, wasn't it? Think Big won the Melbourne Cup that year, John. <laughs> And it's just a little bit, it actually shows that he was agonising over it. He was trying to do the right thing. He didn't know what to do. And then he tried to protect the He said, I'm going to do it and then I'll tell you afterwards because uh, uh, for some reason, I don't know. But at the end of the day, who cares? <laughs> it's, not, it's something that happened 50 odd years ago, 45 years ago. And it's just part of our history now. Everyone's, everyone except the Queen is dead that was involved in that. I think Alan Jones was sitting behind. All right, Alan Jones is still alive. <laughs> and the Queen. <laughs> Both Queens are still alive. Why we don't have hover cars? A look at completely obvious scientific research that takes us nowhere as a civilization and tells us stuff we already know. Apparently going bald makes men unhappy. Who would have thought that? Like $80,000 sports car unhappy. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I hope I do go bald because then I can get, you know, a convertible, convertible sports car and that'll make me happy because I can be cool then. Then I can wear a hat, <laughs> wear a flat hat while I'm driving me convertible. Um, understandably, then it can also get to the point that they experience depression and other psychological issues. But in spite of all that heart-wrenching anecdotal evidence, scientists weren't satisfied. So they did a study to find out just how horrible exactly men felt about going bald. <laughs> what, what would the questions be? They ring up and did the phone poll. Hi, uh, 
can can you just quickly look in the mirror and tell me if you're um, receding at all? If so, how do you feel about that? Hair loss caused 43% to be concerned about their attractiveness. Only 43%. 37% of men were worried about getting older. Not much you can do about that, let me tell you. Uh, 22% to be anxious about the impact it would have on their social life because people are starting out. Hey, Baldy, <laughs> cue ball. You have to start. You have to start saying, "Oh no, it's a solar panel for a sex machine." Twenty-one <laughs> percent to be depressed about it, and sixty-two percent uh, believed that it would impact their health care. Uh, their health care. Their health. Sorry, sixty-two percent believed it would impact their self-esteem. The source was Informer Healthcare. Uh, that's who conducted this scientific research. There you go. So uh, men are concerned. Uh, the psychosocial impact of hair loss among men, a multinational European study. Hair plays an important role. Do you, go, do you reckon you'd go, I always wondered this, do you reckon you'd go the full, you know, just get rid of it, just get rid of the whole lot of it, or would you, you know, go the, what I, what I call the English way, because... Oh, those guys have got the got the bit round the back there that comes around the front now, and you can always grow a couple of mutton chop sideburns. That seems very English to me for some reason. Does that seem English? That's the English way of dealing in it. You just you don't shave it all off. You just you just let that solar panel on the top there, <laughs> and you just keep the side bits. <laughs> it's one of the few things I'm not. He's bald, so you know I can have a laugh. Wake up and face the day with 2TM Breakfast with Peter Huxley. Tamworth Zone, 1287 2TM. Uh, Blake goes out and visits his mate on the farm. I farm Blake's a chicken farm and he gets out there, nice free-range chickens are out there. And he sees a bunch of chickens in a pen over there. And he says, what are they? He goes, oh, that new new breed I've been working on. He said, oh, he goes over and has a look. He said, they've got three legs. <laughs> he said, three-legged chickens. He said... Yeah, yeah, new thing, mate. Three drumsticks per chicken. How good's that? You know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You get one for all the kids. And he said, oh, what do they taste like? He said, I've got no idea. I can't catch the bastards. <laughs> See if you can spot the design floor in this prison they built in Indiana. Undaunted by a concrete wall separating their respective cell blocks, male and female inmates, inmates <laughs> took advantage of a design floor in an Indiana jail to engage in Late night trysts, if you know what I mean. The Green County inmates, three men and three women, gee, that was lucky, pried open metal security tiles in the ceiling of their respective dormitory-style housing units to gain access to the adjoining cell block. First, they got the men and the women right next door to each other. Some of those long-termers, they try to chew their way through. (laughs) Uh, to gain access to the judge according to a probable cause affidavit filed in the circuit court. They were able to get into the lock-up next door because the concrete wall separating the spaces did not continue to the building's roof. So they took the floating roof panels off and was able to duck next door for tea and bickies and whatever else. Uh, as first reported by the Bloomfield Free Press, a blind spot in the Green County Jail security camera system kept officials from quickly spotting the excursions as well, which began two months ago. So there was a blind spot. 
The wall wasn't built properly and there was a blind spot in the security cameras. The six inmates were charged with felony escape. I don't know whether they got out. I might be able to challenge that one. Investigators learned of the ceiling hijinks after conducting a search of the cell blocks. During that shakedown, uh, the investigators found letters in the female dormitory indicating that inmates say you don't write stuff down. You ruined it for everyone now. Uh, we're getting through the ceiling area and making contact with each other. This contact appears to include sexual activity. Well, what else would it be there for? You're in prison. The first female inmate approached by, and he and he's so like her name is uh, Michelle Squealer. <laughs> she just she just squealed on him straight away. The first female inmate approached by a sheriff's investigator was asked if she knew why I might want to talk to her. The woman who was not charged asked, "Does it have anything to do with the girls going through the ceiling?" <laughs> did I get that right? And I, do I do I get cookies now? Uh, they've all been charged. They've blocked up the hole, and uh, uh, the people aren't lining up to get into that cell block now anymore. Before that, the guys were going. Don't put me in that cell block over there. Whatever you do, whatever punishment, nothing as bad as that. <laughs> Please don't put me in there. All right, I'll put you in there. <laughs> uh, that's what's going on in the USA.